Hello and welcome to this episode of The Lorgoifs. I'm one of your hosts, Michelle. I'm Bob. I'm Taya. I'm Grace. We love Card Kingdom, our sponsor. Yeah, easily the best place to buy your magic singles or a sealed product on the internet. If you're looking to pick up singles or sealed product, use our affiliate link, cardkingdom.com slash lorgoifs. Uh, it helps us out. It lets Card Kingdom know that you love us still as much as they hopefully love us still. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure they still love us even during these dark times. It's, you know, when it's, it's how you know that it's true love. You know who else shows us true love? Our patrons? Our patrons on Patreon. Thank you guys so much for your continued support. Oh my goodness. I love them so much. All right. In that case, take it away, Grace. <laughs> Sundered Bond, Chapter 8 by Django Wexler. All aboard the cat bus. Next stop, Dranith. Barrow howled as his giant cat, Zeph, walked up to accept the waiting passengers. Jarena was a bit unsettled, thinking, Zeph is much bigger than Totoro, I mean, Roll. Uh, look at those beautiful kitty eyes, they're bigger than my head. And my, what big, well-brushed teeth. Despite being terrifyingly large, the ride was first class. Jarena curled up in Zeph's warm, white floof and took a much-needed nap as Vivian kept watch. Jarena had hoped to reach Dranith before the survivors of the massacre. Unfortunately, the express to Dranith wasn't so express after all. The countryside between the battle and the city was crawling with Lucas' beasts. When they reached the outermost rings of Dranith, every farmer and shepherd they passed fled in terror from the massive cat bus. Jarena was sadly reminded of the last time she approached Dranith on Monster Back. They waited until darkness to continue towards the city. The ever-present warning crystals surrounding the city were completely useless as Lucas' horde turned them into a big, blinking holiday display. As they approached the first ring, Jarena launched her plan. Flying right in last time hadn't worked out so well, so they parked the cat bus and she approached on foot. As she walked up, she saw the entire wall was swarming with copper coats, holding their crossbows at the ready. Halt and identify yourself, said an officer from the wall. Tis I, Captain Jarena, you know, daughter of General Kudro? The parrot? No, the person, you dolt. Can I approach? After some bickering amongst the guards, they waved her forward. A sergeant approached, his mustache styled after the general's. It looks like you've had a really hard time of it all. You could say that. Any word from the city? Oh, you mean the tactical withdrawal? Aye. We've heard there's a whole commander set worth of monsters heading this way. That's one way to put it. Jarena thought to herself. Is Colonel Bird in charge? Yes, ma'am. Apparently the general is on a special mission. Bird hasn't told everyone my father is dead? Interesting. That vulture is still feasting on the corpse. Sergeant, I'm going to need you and your men to put away your weapons. I have some allies coming in to help in the fight, and I prefer you not perforate them. But... That's against my orders, ma'am. We're supposed to do shooting things. I'm overriding those orders in the name of the general, and not the one with feathers. Yes, ma'am. At once. He made the rounds to make sure everyone got the message. Darina whistled loudly. Whatever you're about to see, make sure your men don't panic. Zeph came bounding towards the wall, a giant sparking cat bus bristling with energy. Despite the warning, many of the soldiers did start to panic. A quick retort from the sergeant brought them back into line. Roll came up behind Zeph, Bryn riding in his fur. She looked fearfully up at the wall. Don't worry, they won't shoot, Jarena said to the worried girl. Bryn started to become her perky self again. I've never been in a city before. 
Is it true that there are hundreds of people inside altogether? Sometimes there's that many in one apartment to be able to afford the rent. Jorina joked as she remounted Zeph and directed the party down a path that would avoid the busiest parts of the first ring. By dawn, they approached the main city walls. Seeing the guardians arrayed against them, she felt discouraged. There's no way this'll work. Vivian saw Jorina's worried face. I'm Vivian Reed. What's wrong? There's no way this is going to work. They won't listen to me. Colonel Vulture is in charge now, and he's always treated me like a little girl who only got where I was by being the general's daughter. He's not the only one up there. Look at all his men watching. He's the ranking officer. He should be in command. Ah, but with the horde approaching the city, rules may be a bit more flexible. These soldiers will look to authority, or the appearance of authority. Jarina breathed deeply. Ooh, appearance of authority. Time to cage this bird. She waved Zeph back and approached the main gate on her own. A bunch of soldiers wearing the uniform of the Citadel Guard swarmed out to greet her, led by the colonel himself. Captain Jarina, it is good to see you alive. You too, Colonel. I'd worried you'd been trampled. Or at least I hope you had. I took command, as you can see. Until your father returns, that is. My father is dead. General Kudro, the man, has been killed by the traitor Luca. Bird glared, living up to his vulturous nature. Then that means I'm in charge. Finally! And you've brought two monsters into the city? They're not monsters. They are Zeph and Roll, bonded to Barrow and Bryn. That's us! Bryn yelled from the distance. They're here to help with the defense of the city, and given what we're up against, I accepted the offer. You've exceeded your authority, Captain. You know we need all the help we can get. I know no such thing. The walls of Draneth will stand against any monsters. You are a fool. This isn't just another band of monsters. This is a horde being directed by Luca. My father refused to recognize that and paid with his life and those of his soldiers. I need you to do better. And what? Open the door to those things you brought with you? I think not. You're just like your fiancé, Luca. Jarena watched the senior soldiers behind the colonel closely. They were lost without General Kudrow. They needed direction. And Bird, wasn't it? Colonel Bird, are you refusing my allies' entrance to the city? Yes, and you'll be entering in chains. The appearance of authority. She smirked at the colonel. In that case, in my father's name, I'm relieving you of the duty and taking command of the defense of Draneth. What? 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 You don't have the authority! Bird screamed incredulously. Major Helmrun, please open the gates and clear the streets beyond. I don't want anyone to get hurt. There was a long, awkward silence. But Vivian had the right of it. The men recognized the appearance of authority given the circumstances, and began following Jarena's orders. But, 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 you can't do that, stammered Bird. I just did. Now go to your quarters, stay out of our way, or I'll have you arrested. Take charge, she did. Jarena quickly changed into a fresh uniform and got to work planning the defense of the city. Jarena looked at the maps. Luca could have attacked by now, but he hasn't. His fastest monsters could have, but he's probably waiting for his whole force to attack at once, replied Vivian. Barrow agreed with this assessment. He'll arrive in force, probably within a day. Jarena gestured at the map. Then we'll evacuate the first ring on the north side of the city. Did you call your other bonder friends? Barrow shook his head. Several are coming, several more may come, but I was out of range to communicate with them directly. The real threat is Luca. 
Even if we beat back the monsters, he'll just summon more, and the Ozolith lets him transfer over all the counters. Vivian said. He needs to be taken out. You're right, Jarena said sadly. She thought of all the fun times with Luca, but also him murdering her father. And I'll be the bait. The evacuation proceeded along well. Even if the civilians and soldiers alike were perturbed by the growing ranks of the Bonders in the Citadel Courtyard, even with a few dozen Bonders, they'd be outnumbered by Luca's horde, ten to one. Morning came in the form of a massive army of monsters arrayed across the walls of the First Ring. Directly across the Citadel was a turtle so large it had a small mountain on its back, complete with a ski resort. All five clades were represented, with adorable monsters of every shape and size. The soldiers started to panic. Gods above, we're so dead! Jarena shouted over the discouraged crowd. It's nearly party time! Bryn was fascinated by the hordes of monsters. They're so cute! Can I cuddle them? No, remember the plan. You and the rest of the bonders will be held back to handle any monsters that make it into the city. Replied Jarena. Aw, shucks. Bryn replied, a bit down, but still peppy. Jarena continued. We need more air support. I'll have the soldiers put out the bat, I mean, Vivian's signal, when the time comes. Vivian thrummed her bow. I will do what I can, but my power is not unlimited. Yeah, mana screw is a real thing. Across the battlefield, Jarena saw Luca riding the massive turtle. Here we go, she thought. Monsters swarmed in and were shot down by the scores by Ballista in the Arcane Corps. A massive flying nightmare whale breached the first layer of defenses before being engaged by Vivian's own horde of ethereal beasts. The slower monsters made it to the wall, the smaller beasts using the larger ones as giant siege towers to challenge the city's walls. Monsters of every type Jarena had ever seen or heard about, and then some swarmed the defenses as the battle raged on. Bryn showed up suddenly. Barrow says hi. We know you're busy, but uh, some of the not-cuddly monsters are getting through. He wants to send the bonders out to hunt. No, it's almost time for our plan. Gather all the bonders by the main gate. She stared at Luca, now close enough to the gate to see his eyes burning with bright orange fire. I'm going. Tell Barrow. She jumped down onto the shell of the turtle that was now headbutting the walls. Jarena. Was all the greeting Luca gave her. Hello, Luca. I thought you were dead. I nearly was. Going to try and kill me again? That wasn't very nice of you. Did you think everyone was just going to welcome you back with open arms after everything you've done? After killing my father? Of course not. I realized how I was wrong. The people are stubborn, like that old man was. The only way I'm returning to Draneth is if I take it. The people will submit, or they will die, and I will rebuild the city on their ashes. You're absolutely insane. You know that, right? I'm quite sane, thank you very much. This is the only way for me to come home, and I will take my place back. We will never submit to you. Jarena yelled as she pulled her blade. Luga made no attempt to draw his own blade. Instead, the whole mountain shook. Do you forget where you're standing? Do you forget who I am? Jarena fell off the turtle, right into Roll's pink fluff. Luca laughed. <laughs> Brilliant plan. But now you're stuck outside the wall with all of my friends. The horde of monsters closed around Jarena as a bat picked up Luca and deposited him nearby. So now what? He sneered at her. Roll shielded Jarena as the gates swung open, all the bonders and their companions bursting out to attack Luca's monsters. Vivian joined the fray, unleashing the monster sword she'd collected on Ixalan. 
which went after the massive turtle. It's over, Luca! Jarena shouted. Surrender and I'll be merciful. Luca's inner man baby raged. No! I won't let her win! Why? Why? She won't... Why won't she let me go home? He tried to find a way out. None of his monsters were close enough to reach him before Zeph and the others could tear him to pieces. But they are monsters! And the monsters are mine! Luca drew on more power from the Ozolith. I've got to catch them all! I will be the Monster Mon Master! I will have them! All of them! Even all of the Godzilla Edition monster cards shall be mine! The Wizard of Ozolith returned to his mind. Excuse me, I can't help but notice you've overdrawn your balance on your, quote, unlimited power plan. You're going to be hit with massive overage fees. Shut up! Luca shouted back at the voice. I highly suggest you rethink your power usage during peak hours. Shut up! Luca pressed his mind into the bond of monsters. It's working. They will be mine. You will not stop me now. Luca! Jarena yelled. Far to the north, the crystals of the Ozolith began to pop, one after another. Don't say I didn't warn you, spoke the wizard into Luca's mind for the last time. The Ozolith exploded. Luca was hit with a massive influx of agony from all the monsters he'd been connected to. His last thoughts passing through his mind. Jarena, why? I just wanted to come home. Before his body and soul were shredded as he sparked. Vivian observed the people from the shadows. Only a week later, the Bonders and their companions became a more common sight in the area surrounding the city. They couldn't enter the city proper, mostly so they didn't accidentally step on someone. She tracked Jarena down. Vivian, you're back? Jarena asked, surprised. Only for a short time. The Ozolith was destroyed, but the wizard is gone. I must track him down. What will you do when you find him? That largely depends on him, but at the least I'll give him a very stern talking to. Jarena shivered, thinking of being on Vivian's bad side. I wouldn't want to be in his shoes. Thank you for everything you've done. She continued. Luca, do you think- She drifted off for a moment. If you see him, could you tell him I'm sorry things had to be this way? You mean, do I think I may see him out there? Possibly, and I'll give you a message if I do. Or I'll try to before feeding him to my monstrosaur. Far, far away, on a different world, Luca awoke in a swamp. I'm still alive? Oh, sweet! I must be a planeswalker, too! Haha, <laughs> in your face, Vivian! Luca pulled at the power he'd wielded from the Ozolith. It was different, but it was there. His lips curled into a bitter smile. <laughs> Someday I will make it home, and it will all be mine. Mine! <laughs> Hi there, I'm Tamio. Hey, I'm Teferi. And I'm Angroth. And we're the hosts of Planeswalker Parenting, the podcast within a podcast, answering questions and giving advice to parents across the multiverse. That's right. 
friends and fiends? Raising young'uns isn't easy, but we hope we can give some help to some folks out there. And Sahili, we just want to let you know that we've received your fifth application to co-host this podcast. And while we appreciate your enthusiasm and dedication, building 50 servos doesn't really count as parenting. Even if you've programmed them to pee some kind of mechanical oil. Changing diapers isn't the only thing about parenting, Miss Rye. Well, let's go ahead and get to our first question, shall we? Sure thing. Oh, this is a good one. It's from Mama Cool. From, uh, it says, the moon? I'm pretty familiar with most moons in the multiverse, and... Okay, well, let's get to the question. Hi there, huge fan of the podcast, long-time listener, first time submitting a question. I've been trying to get more connected with my kids for the past few years, and no matter how many I bring together, I still feel detached. There's even been some resistance towards my infinite promised affection. Am I being too clingy? Perhaps even smothering? What should I do? Oh boy, don't I know that feeling. Mama Cool, we know that sometimes it's tough to show our kids how much we love them. Especially when they get older, they just want to test their boundaries, assert their independence, and find themselves. Exactly. Sometimes children just need some space to figure out who they are as they grow and evolve. The best thing you can do as a parent is support them and provide a safe place for them to be themselves. And always volunteer to help hide the bodies. It really cements your trust and bond. I'm telling you, in cement. What? I I just fast forward time on the corpse and it disintegrates personally. So hard to trace. (laughs) You and your timey-wimey wibbly-wobbly stuff. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, Mama Cool, I hope that helps. Okay, next question. Hey, Planeswalker parents. I'm not a parent myself, but I found it difficult to escape the legacy of a Planeswalker who I guess is technically my father. It's been hard to figure out who I am on my own after centuries of being a test subject and then a figurehead of a really messed up oily dystopia. Now, I've been carrying around this destructive world-ending bomb in a duffel bag around the multiverse. But uh, I'm not really sure what to do next. How can I move on? Wait, is this Karn? Well, it's signed the Brave Little Toaster, but I think it's definitely Karn. Oh man, Karn, you've got to stop writing in like this. We've talked about your Urza issues at least ten times on the show. Karn, you know you have the number to my office. I know your insurance covers therapy sessions. Just call me and we'll set something up. Man, I thought I was angsty. What is this about... A duffel bag bomb. And I think that's all the time we have this week for Planeswalker Parenting, a podcast within a podcast. We'll be back next week to discuss how to keep your kids eating healthy no matter what plane you're on. I've been one of your hosts, Teferi. And I'm Angrath. I'm Tamio. It must be hard to be a Planeswalker parent. Yeah, balance being away so much. I kind of feel like maybe a lot of planeswalkers, if they are parents, aren't actually away maybe all that often because it seems like Timmy seems to have her stuff together. You know, like she does planeswalk from time to time, but it's for a specific purpose. And then like maybe she'll like 
not do it for a while. I, I think Tamio is also like the most stable example we have of someone who is a planeswalker. And then on the other yeah. end of the spectrum, we have Jace, who was surrogate parent to an entire plane and blew that in every way possible. <laughs> well, you know, poor Angrath, who never asked to be trapped on Ixalan, but yeah, that there wasn't you go. His fault. Wait, where's Bob? Are Wait, those Beebles? I'll, I'm looking at the zoom, and all I can see are just a pile of Beeble, Beebles. Oh my god. Bob, come back. Uh, no, some of them are definitely leaving the room. They're yelling about uh, coffee? Oh, well, uh, okay. yeah. I'm sorry that everybody had to find out this way. It's a, it's a secret that Bob told me never to tell anyone, but I guess the cat's out of the bag, or rather the Beebles out of the Bob. Bob is literally just a conglomerate of Beebles. So the cosplay, um, not a cosplay. Yeah, it's the cosplay was really just like a really meta way of kind of letting people know who he was. And I think that every few years, he just sort of disintegrates back into a pile of beebles. So, so um, like he's going to need like a couple of hours, I think, to reconstitute. So I guess he's not going to be on the rest of this discussion. Yeah, because I got to get to D&D. Like, so we got to finish this soon. All right. Well, I hope they get their coffee. Maybe oh, God. Help. Never get between a bunch of beebles and their coffee. <laughs> I will save with absolute experience. So yeah, that was the last chapter of Sundered Bond. That was kind of insane. Yeah, in Luca is like, such a freaking jerk. I hate him so much. What's crazy to me is like I didn't expect to hate him from chapter one, and now yeah. I hate him so much. <laughs> I, I, for me, he's sort of up there with Dove and Bond during the uh, Kaladesh. Uh, arc like just sort of this mm -hmm. like when you first meet the character it's pretty innocuous you don't really you know you expect them to be an, an ally to neutral and then like as it goes through you're just like oh no actually you're kind of well i had a problem i had a problem with him from the beginning because he just seemed like an azorius jerk and, and it just like confirmed my stereotype of azorius by the time the story was over that's fair then you have Lavinia oh. pretending to be Batman, but that's a different podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is Batman really Azorius? Okay, that's another podcast. I mean, I, th I think it, it sort of just brings the two, I think almost halves of the story, like in a complete 180 from where they were, right? In the sense that Luca is definitely now like, almost like a secondary character. The focus is so much on Jarena by the end of this book. Which I just Not think just on her. shows how yeah. good of a writer Django is. At the beginning of the book, Luca is like this likable goofball special agent. And at the end of the book, we're all cheering for Jarena and Luca is face down in a swamp somewhere. Yes. <laughs> and it's, it's kind of amazing, right? Because Jarena has... I think broadens so much in terms of character, but also like her mental growth as well, right? Because she's not just is centered around Dranith anymore. Like she has opened her mind and her heart basically up to these bonders and is fully understanding now of like, oh, okay, we can actually make something work between what we have on Dranith and what they bring to the table as well, which is like adorable, wonderful creatures. Yeah. So, yeah, um, and this is over the space yeah. of two weeks. She really grows a lot. And, you know, I don't think, I think that the compassion part was always there. She just never 
really got a chance to show it as kind of being stuck in the castle doing like research duties and things like that. Mm -hmm. like yeah. You know, I think she's a very good example of a likable Mardu character because they're typically portrayed as vengeance-driven or just purely warlike, you know, marauders where she is like... You know, I'm going to defend my people, but I am going to do it with compassion as well. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with the assessment of uh, Jarena as someone who is a Mardu character that's uh, likable. And, and I, I like how, for the most part, writers seem to be getting more freedom on how to play with characters. So Jingo Wexler in particular is good at playing with characters' color alignments and making sure they stay true to those color alignments while still showing sort of flexibility with, within those alignments themselves, right? Like Jarena and Luca are obviously current really good examples, but if you think back to the Gathering Storm, like Lavinia is literally, she's a renegade, right? Which is not a very quote-unquote Azorius thing to do, mm -hmm. but she's still completely blue-white and in character the whole time. So I think it's like not just a testament to Wexler's skill, which I don't want to downplay, but I think it's also a testament to how flexible the color pie is in general, which is why I've always thought we should replace the alignment system with the color pie. So yeah, Feeling <laughs> of, you know, feelings of her specific card aside, because I thought it was kind of oppressive. Um, uh, she's one of the few Azorius <laughs> characters I actually like because she's consistent in that, you know, after the first bit of the secretist when she was just like, I'm going to nail Jace no matter what, when she starts getting some of that real world experience, she does have a much better outlook than your typical Azorius inflexibility where she is, you know, at least sees that there's shades of gray in the world and wants to do what's best you know, within the framework of the law and then, you know, outside of it as a renegade when the law is kind of co-opted by Bullis's, you know, plans. One of the, I think, more obvious conversations perhaps that we should have um, mm -hmm. if we're talking about Mardu-aligned characters is comparing perhaps the way Jarena embodies Mardu and, say, the way Alesha um greatest of her name, mother of yes. marauders, <laughs> is portrayed. And so just for, for my thought, I feel like Alesha always read to me as a character who is bringing a sense of tradition and honor to what the Mardu accomplish in their mm -hmm. raids, because this is like what they've always done. And this is what defines them as a community. Whereas like Jarena is a little bit more compassionate and it's definitely a little bit maybe more uh, would, would, is it wrong to say like perhaps Jarena if you're looking at that Mardu um, three color alignment maybe leans a little bit more white using with a little bit of like influence from black and a little bit of influence from red and maybe yeah. Alesha's got like more red well, with influences yeah Alesha's primary color is red and, and you know I think you know, she's an, just an amazing character in general for a lot of reasons, but mm -hmm. one, we don't get a full book worth of development for her. And two, I think you really see it at the end where she's just like, well, let, let's abandon the clan and go follow this dragon marauding things. And, and I think that's kind of a very red, you know, not compassionate, but just following the heart, you know, where it goes. And in this case, the Marty Horde is about burning things with lightning. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would I would say that I agree with the assessment that Alesha is. Uh, because when I think of characters who are designated tricolors, right, I tend to think of 
a lot of these characters tend to have a primary color, and then the two other colors are kind of how they express that color's mm. views and how they um, act on those colors in the world. So Alesha definitely is like a primary red philosophy character, but I feel like the way she acts on that tends to be primary black right like you have to earn your name you have to do these things for yourself like we take care of each other as a unit like that's our community but nobody takes care of you as an individual until you take care of you as an individual and that's when you earn your name um and that sort of thing whereas i think jarena is like primary white focus like i think she has a very uh, white view of the world with um, red and black actions mm-hmm. yeah i, I yeah, would that, agree that with definitely that tracks. And I think it just says a lot that, unfortunately, she is only in Commander and she's not in the actual set. Ah. But her Commander Um, card is amazing, too, and her flavor text is so good. Oh, it's so great. I I just wish it wasn't the set. But I love that it's a combination of the influence that she has had in Luca's world, quote-unquote Luca's world, or the world of the Bonders, which is red. And she combines it with the Orzhov, I guess, upbringing that she has always been known, I guess, for most of her life up until this point. I think she's just a wonderful, perfect character in terms of seeing how color theory and story kind of come together to create a really strong kick-ass character. Um, And a kick-ass woman of color as well, which is always like, yes. But then I'm always like, wait, what about her mom? (laughs) I I wish we had gotten more from Jarena's mother. Like, we don't know exactly what happened. I assume she's got a Disney princess situation. Yeah, I was going to say, MTG has a Disney problem. Yeah. Um, which, like, the the story behind why people theorize a lot of Disney characters lose their mothers is actually really sad. Uh, the long and the short of it, it is after Walt had success with Snow White, he bought his parents a house. The radiator, I think, in the house started leaking gas. It killed his mother. No. So I guess Walt decided if he can't have a mom, no one can have a mom. That's no. a theory. I'm not saying that's fact. I mean, it's fact his mom died. I'm not saying it's fact. That's why a lot of characters lose their moms, though. Poor um. Nemo. Poor Nemo. <laughs> yeah. I'm, okay, Michelle's face is... I feel like I just, like, <laughs> tore her world apart. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry you no, had to find fine. out this way. I'm sorry. I'm just sorry. I didn't know the story about Walt Disney's mother, and I feel really terrible now. Uh, no, I mean, like, you know, uh, yeah. he has a lot of flaws you can otherwise criticize, so don't feel bad. Yeah, yeah that no, is. He's got a lot of There's flaws. a long list. Just don't, even, long don't list. even worry about it. Don't even worry about it. I am, I'm very aware of Walt Disney's <laughs> faults, but I, I empathize very much with, like, losing a loved one that that sucks um yeah but anyway i mean i guess the fact that it's novella means that we just don't have space perhaps for that but i don't know this is such an interesting in terms of family and community um sort of divergence from what we've seen from say the wilderness quest where family is very much like the underlying um structure behind the entire book yeah and um, i think that's just kind of the focus because the whole thing is like quest for daddy where'd he oh. go <laughs> yeah. get my dad back my dad um, got turned into an elk oh go. um i i think i think maybe also it has a difference to do with like general societies though too right like if you look at draneth it's like i, I imagine that it's very it takes a city to raise a child sort of thing right like i imagine Mm -hmm. 
individual parent-child bonds, while still present, are maybe not as um, emphasized as they are in uh, Eldraine, because, like, you have mm-hmm. so many people crammed in tight, and, you know, you have a bunch of copper corps that go out and, and fight, the, you know, the, and you have a bunch of farmers. Yeah, the military is the family in a lot of cases in Dranith. Yeah, so, you know, like, if you have, you know, if your buddy died fighting a beast and you know you're not going to leave her kids to starve you're going to take them in and make sure they're fed and sheltered and that sort of thing or you're going to if you don't do it personally you're going to make sure that they get to someone who can do those things and in that type of societies and i think that's kind of an interesting thing too that because of Jarena's position and her father's position so high up, I think maybe there's a little bit of that she's been isolated from a bit. Mm-hmm. But I have to imagine Kudra probably came up through the ranks, right? Mm-hmm. So that may be why we're seeing some of that disparate, like, acting and opinion. Kudro is absolutely willing to sacrifice Jarena, which is not something she understood or saw coming. You know, whereas in Kudro's mind, I, I wonder if there is some... And this is not me being sympathetic for him. Like, the the dude's a jerk. But I wonder if there's some level of that for him, right? Okay, uh, I have to protect my whole family, even if it means this one section of my family who is, in my view, acting against my family's interest, they have to be removed. Mm-hmm. I don't like that I can, like, put myself in that mindset, but here we yeah, are. Yeah, that... that- really hit close to home in a lot of ways. (laughs) So what do we think of, like, the gender dynamics here of the major characters we've seen with uh, Jarena versus Luca, but also Jarena versus, like, her father? Mm -hmm. And then Luca and General Kudra basically being two sides of the same coin. Do you think that this is an interesting, like, way to perhaps, like, perceive perhaps systematic oppression because i i know like for a long time i've personally thought of luca as being like very much embodying a lot of toxic masculinity but i've often found myself sort of like struggling to kind of pin down like how precisely if that's a one-to-one correlation you know i don't know if it was intentionally written in as a theme but i can certainly say that something that i was able to read from this is Something Luca and Kudro definitely have in common is they see Jarena as a possession. They see her as a means to an end, which is something that um, I have definitely experienced in my life as Mm -hmm. a woman, right? Like, you know, whether it's they want to use you as a caretaker until they can move on or they want you to you you know use you for caretaking for someone else etc etc there are a lot of roles in which women are asked to play that they may or may not actually be interested in but you know you do this thing quote unquote because you're a woman like because it's your duty and i think that's something that both luca and kudro try and take advantage of when they're trying to control jarena into doing things is it is your duty they're trying to appeal to her um the white uh, in the terms of mtg color pie they're trying to appeal to the white in her nature is like this is your duty and uh yeah as someone who is who has had people try and do that to her a lot like that that hit really close to home to me and i think that's one of the reasons why like lucas started tripping danger alarms halfway through the book it's like oh you have stopped seeing jabrina as your partner and you now see her as a goal and an object yeah very Mm -hmm. much so it was very much like the sexy lamping of jabrina 
Um, and, uh, you know, speaking of Luca's view on things, his little bit that he gets post-Spark is he's now, you know, opened up to all the possibilities of the multiverse, and his first thought is still, I'm going to go home. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, right, because if you don't mind, I'd love to transition to another talking point, which is what kind of villain is Luca? I guess in what we've seen with the magic, I guess, villains or what what does Batman call it? <laughs> the rogues anyway, gallery. The, yeah, yeah the rogues in the gallery. rogues gallery that we have of, of Bolas and Tezzeret and et cetera, where do we think... Like Luca um, falls in because, as far as I'm concerned, like I don't think we've ever seen a character quite like this before in Magic. He's an obsessive, selfish character. Everything he does is for himself. He doesn't, like we've said many times, he doesn't see the wider pictures. He's definitely not like a Tezzeret style, you know, villain that's going to play off. Everything he's going to do is going to be in the service of his goal of going back and taking over Dranith or whatever he thinks he can do now the whole plane and I don't see it deviating from this so I really think it's in some ways he's kind of the flip side of Vivian where she had a single goal which was kill Bolas take revenge for Scala and now she's opening up where he's going to be single minded and getting whatever power he needs to take Dranith for himself and get revenge on Jarena. I wonder if, okay, th- this is going to be a long walk, so I apologize to everyone. Uh, <laughs> uh, this is the part of the podcast where Grace tries to draw connections between two things that probably don't have any sort of connection at all. But in his behavior, I actually see. And this is going to be potentially controversial because I know he's not a villain, quote unquote, per se. I see a lot of Luca's behavior mirrored in a lot of Soren's behavior. Hmm. If you think about how Soren thinks about Avacyn and Innistrad as a plane, you know, he's the lord of Innistrad. Innistrad belongs to him. I feel like because Soren was an old walker, he actually had the power to do these things. And he was basically uncontested that we've seen up until Nahiri started wrecking shit, which is a different morality question. (laughs) Um, Right. But I, as far as like just the masculine views of I possess this thing, right? Like he's upset that he had to destroy Avacyn, not because he had to end someone's life, but Avacyn was his creation specifically. That's why Soren was mad about it. It had nothing to do with Avacyn in general. Like, you know, lots of people die on Innistrad. He doesn't give a shit. When he has to destroy Avacyn, his creation, then it becomes suddenly much more important to him. That's the character I can draw, like, the closest connection to for Luca. Now, that being said, I don't think Luca's half as clever as Soren. Um, <laughs> Just certainly not as broad... He doesn't see the bigger picture, right? Right. You know, is that a virtue of Soren's age or whatever? You know, Soren is uh, an old walker, so he's... He's 10,000 plus years old. Yeah, he's, yeah he's, he's, got, he's got a couple thousand years worth of experience under his belt. But I think that possessiveness, right, I think is something they both have in common. I just think that Soren's is... a expressed in a much more cold and calculating way, whereas Luca's is that very, like, flair of, no, this is mine. Like, it's very spontaneous. You know, he he makes decisions quickly, and then he unmakes them pretty quickly, too. 
Mm-hmm. You know, if you think about during his sparking scene, he actually says in his mind to Drina, I'm sorry, I just wanted to come home. You know, so he obviously has some conflicting feelings, flip-flopping, etc. going on in his mind. Which I think that's also, like, that mutable quality is very red. And, like, in some characters, that ends up being, like, a really admirable trait because it makes them very adaptable. If you look at, like, Samut or Chandra, you know, in the case of Luca, it just makes him wishy-washy and prone to anger i think so i i completely agree uh with you i think that that air of possessiveness is absolutely very similar to soren the narcissism though that you were talking about taya reminds me actually a lot of nicol bolas particularly the way oh. he was written in the chronicles of bolas it does i mean that um, that is bolas's red trait I, you know, yeah. Bolas is the avatar of Grixis colors, and he embodies mm-hmm. all three of the colors quite deeply. And the red trait is his fear and impulsiveness when it comes to immediate threats. You know, he'll take a century-long view on the blue side, but when it comes to a very specific action, he is just he's really capricious about things and he will go out of his way to smite someone that he thinks slighted him. Yeah. And I I really love the fact that we finally did get to understand in the Chronicles of Bolas sort of the key difference between those formative memories that made Bolas Bolas and what made Ugin Ugin, and it was like, or Nicole at the time, watching one of his dragon brethren his dragon siblings be conquered and killed. And I think that, again, maybe that sense of loss of control that loops into perhaps a fear of losing oneself is perhaps um, a link there in terms of fear between Nicol Bolas and Luca. I just think, God, if they ever meet, Luca will be the easiest person to play ever. <laughs> like, yeah. just, it, it's not even going to be a play. Like, I think Bolas will be like, hey, do you want more power? And Luca will be like, sure. And Bolas will be like, I don't have to talk you into this? Great. <laughs> yeah. You didn't even Moving ask on. what the cost is? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, he's, uh, I mean, and that's exactly what he did at the Ozolith. He didn't ask what the cost was behind this bargain or anything just like would you like some power and he's like yeah i'd love some power god i want to know who was at the ozolith like i know we've talked about who it might be but like i i just like i i need to know for sure like this is the bant in me like i have to know i do there's the one cliffhanger from the set that is going to be like on my mind until we get some resolution behind it i think it could be oko we've definitely talked about this before but i don't know i'm kind of okay with things being a mystery for now. I mean, for now, the, yeah. But, hope, but it, it goes on that. that eventually. I, I mean, it's not Raven Man level, I want to know. No. But <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's now a new thing where it's just like, I need to know what's going to happen here eventually. You know it's Yawgmoth, right? The Raven Man was Maybe. me all along. I'm sorry I forgot to tell <laughs> right. y'all. I showed up. Fucked up Liliana's life a little. Just, you know. Just a little. No big... No Just don't worry about it. I mean, she didn't have to listen. Well, yeah, neither, um, <laughs> neither did uh, Luca. Yeah, Luke, Luca's story and relationship with power reads like a really boring, like, Faustian tragedy. Because <laughs> at least in Faust, there's, like, some kind of, like, reflection on, like, oh, man, I messed up. Mm-hmm. But yeah. there's nothing that, like that for Luca. So, 
You know, just looping this back to what Grace said about his last thought, you know, being sorry to Jarena, you know, that occurred when he thought for sure he was going to be dying. Once he reawakens as a planeswalker, he's not sorry at all. Mm -hmm. So that that's very oh, much yeah. a last minute oh, I screwed up, but then there's no remorse at all when he realizes there was no consequence for him, really. Yeah. It reminds me of the terrible Justin Bieber song, Sorry, because you know that song is so insincere. God. No, No sincere sorry song has such a happy beat. Uh... Sorry, Sorry Lucas I, I had, Justin I had Bieber thought, in my head. I, I was gonna say I had a thought, and then you put Justin Bieber in my head, and I'm like trying to, I'm trying to evict <laughs> it. Um, but it's just like how every time someone says the word Nicobolas because of Voice of All, I like Hanabera starts playing in my head, just like those opening bars, dun da da da, because he's an opera villain. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, in the best way. But oh. Vivian, I was what I wanted to come back and touch on because if we're talking about Luca and Sparking and him coming to the realization that he's a planeswalker, I don't think we can leave Vivian out of that conversation. I, I like Vivian's tactfulness when Jarena's like, will you tell Luca this if you see him? And Vivian's like, yeah, I'm definitely not just going to shoot him. Yeah. I'll, I'll <laughs> tell him. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I was actually getting ready this morning and my husband and I were talking about magic stuff and he was like oh look it's my girl and he showed me vivian and i was like oh yeah she's in sundering one and he goes yeah i know she's basically legolas yeah. in, this in this book yeah. which is not incorrect i don't think no like, yeah no michelle's face is a collection yeah. of emotions it it's i just got this image of vivian being like he's taking the monsters to the ozolith he's taking the monsters to the ozolith the ozolith the ozolith he's taking the monsters to ozolith <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I am. I hope we get. Oh boy, the thing I would like the most from Magic Story, aside from um, you know, Return of Free Web Fiction for core stuff, is I would absolutely pay money for little side stories on planes, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. uh, for what's going on. Like I would love to be able to look at what's going on on Ikoria afterwards, right? Yeah. And the build up to a potential quote unquote next set if that does end up happening, you know, because I think those story ramp ups between those things are interesting and that was something that like you know because Ikoria has been left in sort of this hanging place the ozolith has been destroyed which was something that was causing these nightmares which apparently have been a problem long enough that the copper coats knew about them uh we don't know how other cities are handling them because we didn't have that kind of room in a novella but those nightmares are gone and the bonders like the knowledge of bonders existing is now like out in the world there's no way to put that cap back in the bag and how societies are going to adapt to that yeah and mm -hmm. it's been five years sadly since we had story with the commander product but i thought that filled this gap really well because we got a little peek in on ravnica and we got mm -hmm. a little peek in here and there on what was going on you know, I thought that was a perfect place to do this sort of thing. And, you know, you could even do it with the master sets because they don't have a given place. You could pick a legend or two out of a set. Maybe, you know, Commander Legends would be amazing for this. I just want to know what's going on on Alara right now. I'm going to be real. Uh, I, yeah, Alara would be really interesting to see. I also would this like to know what's going on on Kamigawa. You know, and we yeah. know we're never going back there, but... You know, how is Tamio and her family doing? I want to know these things. That's important. I miss Moon Mom. But coming back to Ikoria, uh, what are, do we have final thoughts 
emotions, feelings. That's the same thing as emotions, I, sorry. I want to see Vivian feed Luca to a monster sore. <laughs> I, I want to see more Vivian. Overall, I thought the story was awesome. After the Wildering Quest, I was like, oh gosh, I'm really, really worried about like the next set. We'll see. And then Theros didn't happen. <sighs> but I'm, I'm really glad that we have such a good Ikoria story because it really helped bring this world to life. Mm-hmm. If I do have one complaint, I wish there were more sharks. There are not enough sharks in this story. Not enough flying sharks. That's all. I do think bringing Vivian up does highlight one thing we could talk about another time, but there is now a, you know, primary face character in um, that is a woman in each color except for blue. Yeah, that's correct. Muyan Ling, come back. <laughs> Michelle's taking her fist at the sky. I think that's a an interesting observation. I really like Vivian as the face of green. I like how she's evolved somewhat. I I know I wasn't on the podcast for the discussion of her presence in that Ixalan stories. I think I have some conflicting feelings with uh, members of the cast as far as the nature of things in the Ixalan story for her. But I, I like how she overall, like the, especially with her vengeance quest fulfilled she's a little bit in an indigo montoya place she's sort of like well shit i didn't think about what would happen after the whole revenge thing Um, (laughs) yeah it's like i expected to die in this quest yeah she killed her six finger man so uh (laughs) um you know and i think that's the thing is like she doesn't have a dread pirate roberts to be like here's your mask go on like she has to figure that out for herself and and i like that it hasn't made her despondent um, which is normally what you see from these sorts of things immediately after, like, oh, woe is me, I fulfilled my quest of vengeance, and now Vivian's attitude is she's like, I am free from I'm going this. on safari. There's so many cool planes out yeah. there with neat monsters and animals that I can go see. Yeah, she's yes. becoming the magic Steve Irwin she was always yes. meant to be. <laughs> yes, the magic David Attenborough that we've always wanted, <laughs> except she's, not... I was gonna say oh, she's I more do. she's she's more adventurous than Attenborough. She's definitely more of an Irwin than an Attenborough. Yeah. No, you haven't seen him during the frog documentary where like half the fr- he holds these frogs and half of them totally go on his face. And I would not be that brave. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, with that, I think that pretty much wraps up our our final thoughts on Sundered Bond by Django Wexler. Really fantastic read. If you haven't been convinced to read this on your own by now, I don't know what else we have to say to you, but you should do it. Do yeah. the thing. Do the thing. Unless that, you don't want to, s- then like you're an adult, I guess. And uh, just going to go ahead and do a quick shout out to our sponsor, Card Kingdom. Thank you so much for being there for us during these really crazy times. And also thank you to our Patreon patrons. We love you more than bird cat tokens. And that says a lot. And yeah, the, the foil bird cat tokens from the collector set. Oh, so beautiful. <gasps> there are foil bird cat tokens. All of our patrons give know. me plus one plus one to my heart. Yes. Oh, sorry. Okay. Well, I know <laughs> what I'm doing after this podcast. All right, then. I've been one of your hosts, Michelle. I'm Taya. I'm Grace. And we'll see you next time. Okay, I'm going to go to cardkingdom.com and order some bird tokens. Bye. Bye.
I'm a planeswalker too, and now I'm off to destroy standard. Is it standard that is? I will be the monster mon monster mon master. <laughs> monster mon master. <laughs> Say that ten times fast. Now close enough to dot com. <laughs> <laughs> That's the true evil Luca in part of this. He started the dot com boom on Ikoria. Um, Pets dot com. <laughs> she. Jarena quickly charged into a fresh unit. Changed. Charged in. into it. <laughs> Just ran right into it. That poor red shirt has got Jarena. <laughs> Just hit him so hard that the clothes just like burst off of the soldier and like got onto her. That's a magical girl transformation, y'all. Like uh, one punch Jarena. Sailor Jarena. Just a second, Doug is. I don't know if you can hear the bathroom. Doug is in the bathroom. No. Uh, oh, okay, cool. I'll just keep going. Oh, Turns out geez. the child of Alara is the amalgamation of all of Jace's forgotten children. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> it has Angra? been established in previous Lorgoyf episodes that he is carrying around the thing in a duffel bag. Yeah. Well, hello, uh, Miss Watley. I can't really see why you're bragging so hard on non dino people when you just. Anyway, I want to get back to my daughters. Hey, you want to see something cool? Tears open a hole in reality. Hey, that's snow. <laughs> okay. Yep, uh, zip that up back now and move on. Where's Araska? <laughs> okay. Oh, bless. All right. Um...